Uh, so we're uh, on the week, second week of our Advent series, uh, looking at sort of the, the beginning of what is in the scriptures an epic, uh, glorious adventure. Uh, we, we look at the, the coming of Jesus and the birth of Jesus as the beginning of this story where uh, Jesus, who is obviously the, the grand hero of this story, is ultimately going to be uh, restored uh, to the throne. He's ultimately going to be uh, placed on the throne of all heaven and earth, and that will be sort of evident as we go on to see his death, his burial, uh, his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension to sit at the right hand of the Father. But really, how did that story happen? How did it unfold? And really, what are the, what are the places of the minor characters in this story? How did those sort of miracles happen? Uh, we're looking at the book of Luke, uh, the first couple chapters, where we is one of the places where we see the Christmas story, and Luke is just this amazing uh, person who wants to write us something that's essentially a history, right? We see in the beginning, he's like, I want to give you an orderly account. I want to show you how this happens. I've I've spoken to the witnesses. I've read everybody else's version of the story, and I just want to sort of harmonize that and put it all together in a way that you, uh, he's writing to a friend named Theophilus, can really understand uh, what Jesus did and how it happened. And by the way, in this orderly, historical, somewhat scientific account, there's miracles and angels and uh, a virgin birth and uh, an old postmenopausal uh, lady who gives birth. And there's uh, demon possession and deliverance. And guys get, uh, you know, shriveled hands healed and all kinds of crazy stuff. So, by the way, this is a super orderly account of, like, crazy, miraculous, amazing things. And so we have this strange balance between uh, science and miracle and, and just seeing the reality of what happens when God the Father comes to earth and begins to do his stuff, begins to uh, let his will happen. But this is something for us that, that is, is something that we love. Like, we love these big epic stories. Uh, we look at uh, stories like Lord of the Rings, uh, this incredible things made into movies, and, and we love the stories of the hobbits and the wizards and, and all of that sort of incredible epic tale. But one of the little pieces that stood out to me as I was looking at this sermon was a poem about the King Aragorn as this king who's ultimately going to be restored uh, to the throne. And that, of course, restoration of the king to the throne is what makes every story work. It's the goal of the story. And it, and it reads like this. It says, all that is gold does not glitter. Uh, not all who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not touched by the frost. Uh, from the ashes a fire shall waken. A light from the shadow shall spring. Uh, renewed shall be blade that would be broken. And the crownless again shall be king. And there's just something in us when we read these words of Tolkien and when we look at the scriptures that our hearts kind of rise up. There's something in us that's longing for kingship. There's something in us that's longing for the world to be made right. If you look at the world around you, we just know that there are things that aren't as they ought to be. Uh, Injustices happen. Untruth uh, lies are, are rampant. There's so much brokenness around us. And we know in our heart of hearts that the thing that will make it all right is if Jesus is restored to the throne of every heart. My heart, your heart. And that goodness comes, comes from there, comes from that place. So we pick up the story now with uh, an angel coming to visit a woman named Mary. Uh, to tell her about her part in the story of the coming of this new king. 
And we're going to just learn a little bit about from another sort of plucky, uh, unlikely hero, this person, Mary. So let's just read the text together, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrestle, uh, chat about a few things around the life of Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38, reads like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so here we are uh, looking at this this, uh, young woman, uh, Mary. She was probably... Uh, in the neighborhood of 13 or 14 years old in that culture. That was the age at which they were uh, given in marriage. Uh, Those of you with uh, daughters at that age and in that range, just something for you to think about how bizarre that looks like from our cultural uh, standpoint, but that's the age uh, that they were at. And before, uh, you know, the angel uh, didn't go and talk to Mary's dad, didn't go and talk to Mary's mom about it, but the angel went to this, this little girl and, and spoke to her and told her a little bit about what was to happen to her. And so just we're just going to pull some thoughts from some of this. But first thing we see here is just the gentleness and kindness of the father. Obviously a little startling to have an angel show up in your room some night and say hello to you. But just think of the kindness of God and making it really clear to her directly, not through a parent, not through a priest, not through someone else, coming to, to Mary directly and saying, hey, little precious one. I care to speak to you about this. I care to speak to you about your story. We see later that she treasures this all in her heart. That she, uh, she, she's like, okay, there's something that the Lord has said to me. I'm just going to hold on to this thing. So God uh, very gently sends the angel to come talk to her. And, and he starts with a really encouraging thought. Greetings, O favored one. Um, the, the, probably worth wrestling with even before we, we get into to all of that, though, is, is this whole idea of the virgin birth, just from an apologetics perspective. Apologetics is this uh, question around, like, uh, did this story really happen? Like, like why, why, why is it important that, 
Mary was a virgin. Why do we believe this? Uh, one of the things that, this, that I think is really important for us to do as we look at these stories, especially looking at Luke and the historical nature of what he was trying to write and trying to create, is how do we help people come along in the story who aren't people who are Christians? If you're, if you're like me and you went through school, I remember this exact argument in high school. And so if, if in the years, like the several, several, many, many decades since I was in high school, uh, they're, they're probably still telling uh, this, this little story. But have you ever heard somebody say to you, well, you know, that word virgin in the Greek just, that just means like a young maiden, like a young lady, right? So, so we don't really believe that she was a virgin. Like we don't really believe that this was a miraculous birth. How can we believe that this was a miraculous birth? And we look at the Greek, that's what it says. It says a young maiden. I just want to walk us through why we believe uh, in, in it as a virgin birth. Uh, in Luke one twenty seven, it sort of means young maiden. But first, we, we don't just look at the book of Luke. We look at the book of Matthew. And it says in Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 18, uh, Joseph, um, were, they, were, they were interacting. They were about to get married. But all of this happened before they came together. Luke is really uh, specific about making sure that's clear. Later on in verse 124, uh, Joseph uh, takes her and says he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to his son. So we have other places in the scriptures where it's really specific that she was a virgin. But more than that, like from a historical context perspective, uh, that phrase, young maiden, uh, in, in our culture, a young lady could could very well, uh, in our culture, be, be somebody who's sexually active, right? But in that culture, there's just no way that a young lady like that would be sexually active. Conservative uh, Jewish uh, culture, right? When you went out with your betrothed, with your future husband, in your marriage that was arranged then, uh, you went out with literally an entourage of chaperones. How, how many of you, like, how's, how's that sound for you 20-somethings? Entourage of chaperones when you go on a date. Does that sound like the way we, we roll here? Like, one of the things I, I, strugg- I, I struggle with, like, talking with dif- different guys uh, who are, you know, wrestling with keeping themselves uh, pure uh, before marriage is, is like, yeah, you know, I'm really, we're really having a hard time, like, keeping our hands off each other. I'm like, so what are you, what are you doing? Like, what's going, what's going on with, with all this? Well, you know, we're just down in the basement, and we're just, you know, we've got a blanket on us, and we're watching something on Netflix, and the lights are low, and, you know, just one thing leads to another. And you're wondering, like, it's like why can't I just not, uh, you know, keep my hands off? Or, like, what's going on? Well, dude, you shouldn't be in the basement, you know, with the lights down low and a blanket on watching Netflix in the first place. You should be in the living room upstairs with your whole family watching Disney, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, real deal. If you, if, if you want to keep pure and you want to keep your relationship right before the Lord, like, you bring the entourage with you. Right, bring the fam jam along for the ride and get to know her like that, right? So just just pro tip for all of you young guys here looking to get married and, and looking to keep yourselves pure, like don't be in uh, the basement watching Meg Ryan or whoever it is that they watch these days. I don't know. You know, call the midwife? Is that, is that get anybody? I don't think, I don't know what it is. No, I don't know. I don't know TV. I don't watch anything. Outlander, I think that's one that's supposed to be kind of racy. I don't know if you watch that one. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. So just don't do it, right? Disney. I'm saying Disney. So, you know, that's the culture in which she was born, right? There's something about her that was... It was, it was important for us to know that, that, that she was a virgin, that she was, was pure. And we'll talk about why that was in a minute. 
Let's just go on in the story for just a second. So the angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And this is where this place in verse 32, uh, the coming of the story of the restoration of the king enters into it, right? This is what the big grand narrative is all about. And he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give uh, to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now nobody in, in Israel at that time thought that the Messiah should uh, not have a mom and a dad. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't something that people were really conceiving of, and, and I used the word conceiving there, that's almost a pun. Um, that's, that's not something that people were really thinking of in that space, right? Like, so, so why is this why is this deal important? Why is it that Jesus, uh, it was important for Jesus to be born of a virgin? There's a couple of answers that are there that just aren't really satisfying. The first one is uh, one, of course, because uh, sex is dirty or wrong or impure, right? That's something that uh, I think we in evangelicalism or even uh, those of us with Roman Catholic backgrounds uh, have wrestled with this sense of, okay, she can't have had sex because that's somehow dirty, wrong, impure, whatever. Read Song of Songs. And uh, it's in the Bible. Don't read it until you're 14 or 15, young men. But, uh, but this, uh, you know, there's something about uh, human sexuality that God designed, that he made. God is pro-sex. So we want to just partition aside this idea that, that that's dirty. So that's not really why it was like that, obviously. Uh, the second thing is, is because Jesus needed to be sinless because he uh, needed to have a sinless father, right? So there's some things about which, which uh, different people argue about theologically, about this sort of uh, doctrine of uh, original sin, and maybe original sin was transmitted uh, through the Father so that uh, Jesus couldn't have that transmitted to him. That's why he needed to be uh, pure. And that's actually the thing that leads people to thinking that maybe uh, Mary was also divine or pure when you get into the, the far end of, of Roman Catholicism and all of that. Uh, but we just think that that's something that the women slipped in there. Because um, that sin is transmitted through the man, but not through the women. Like, that's just not even right or fair. Uh, women, like, you can really, like, when the kids are bad, it's like, Joseph. It's all on you, buddy. <laughs> right? Like, it, like, so we know that, like, like, we all have a sin nature and how it's transmitted to us. How does that all all work we just just theologically as a dad i'm saying that can't possibly be the answer because it can't all have come f through me some of it's anna's fault uh just saying just really clear any brokenness in our kids like she's owning some of that yeah, heads up yeah, we got that I'm not broken. <laughs> <laughs> oh except maybe we were talking about toby we're, we're talking about our youngest yeah it's it's all good <laughs> Right, so so it's it's not like some like we've got to figure out who's sinless, who's not. We've got to, we've got to work that out. So, what are really the satisfying answers for why uh, the virgin birth is is important? Uh, first thing I, I think the reason Luke wrote it that way is actually a subversion of paganism. Um, there are so many stories uh, in in the uh, in the record in 
the historical record. Uh, there are stories about sort of virgin births that are out there that are floating around. And they're all weird. Like, like when people say there's a parallel between the virgin birth as we see in the scriptures and virgin birth of Horus or all of that stuff. Like the, the Christian story is just so much more human, so much more historical, so much more real. And so we think in that, sort of Luke is wanting to subvert a lot of those pagan stories that were in cultures that uh, the Christianity was about to be encountering. Right? So, okay, so here's a story of a virgin birth, but this is, this is not some myth made up thing. Like Horus uh, kind of is a weird story of impregnating a rock and all kinds of crazy stuff. But this is like a real deal human story. And this really happened. And hey, you can go talk to the witnesses. You can talk to the people. You can connect with the story and, 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 and see that it's real. So all of those sort of pagan ideas that are floating around there in culture, uh, hey, just, just lay them aside. This is real deal. This is what happened. This is how it went on. This is the true, true myth, the true story. So there's this. I think Luke is subverting paganism. Uh, there's the other thing. Uh, there's a really clear case that needs to be made for the idea that Jesus is a heavenly creature. That Jesus came from heaven, right? And we see in the book of John over 30 times, I think 32 times in the book of John, it's really, really clear. Jesus himself says, I came from heaven. When I came from heaven. And so uh, this is Luke's way of making this case, a little bit different from the way John did it. He's like, let's establish for sure that salvation doesn't come from humanity. Salvation isn't human-generated. Salvation isn't self-generated. Humanity can't pull its own self up by its bootstraps. Something had to happen and come from outside to lift us out. We didn't have that power to do it ourselves, right? So we're dependent on God. And that's uh, the, the real idea there is that this whole thing, uh, of this king that is coming to rule the, the, the world, it's actually God's king. It's not, it's not a human king. It, it's not me. It's not uh, something like you. It's not a person like you. It, it, it's somebody who clearly was begotten of God. Someone who clearly uh, came from God. And so we, we have this story of the virgin birth uh, so that uh, we can all know as human beings that we just needed something beyond ourselves. It's something that's there to actually just humble us. We, we can't save ourselves. So we approach the story and we approach, the li- uh, approach life with humility. And so that leaves us with just one more question around that. Why was Mary herself uh, important? Uh, you know, if you're coming from, and this just for, for those of us maybe who've come from uh, other traditions, we know, we know in the Ottawa Valley uh, that there's a really, really high percentage of people with a background in, in Roman Catholicism, and we don't want to speak against uh, our brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic Church, but there are people who are disillusioned from the church because of a few different uh, ideas that have been floating around there. One of those things that we as uh, as uh, Protestants wrestle with is the worship of Mary, uh, the elevation of her, the veneration of her as someone who is sinless. And in part because of this argument that Jesus can't have had a sin nature that was transmitted to him through Mary, therefore Mary must have been perfect. And I just want to make a case for Mary just being a person like, like, like you or me. Uh, and that really comes from verse 28 and verse 30, I think, of uh, the chapters that we've read or the verses that we've read. It says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. And the word favor isn't just like God likes you, God, uh, God kind of chose you, God kind of thinks, you know, you got God thumbs up, like stamp of approval, 
You know, it's not like that. It's like you have found grace with God. The Greek word is the same word we see at uh, the root of all through the New Testament. You have found uh, charisma. You have found grace with God. Something has been gifted to you that is beyond yourself. Something's been gifted to you that's beyond your, your ability. Something's been gifted to you that's beyond your measure, beyond uh, what you can generate, beyond what you can do. Uh, so we, we just really want to see Mary not as a source of grace. She, she didn't have self-generated grace that was somehow transmitted to Jesus. There wasn't a divinity to Mary. In fact, that's actually the, the whole point of the story. Uh, but she was a recipient of grace. God chose her. She's an unlikely hero. Right? And that's the beauty of it. The important thing about Mary is that she's not important. Right? The important thing about Mary is that God made her important. She's an unlikely hero that he infused her life with importance. I just want to share a little story uh, of that for just, for just a minute. I, I, you know, it's, where, do you, where, do you, where do you go with it? There's so many stories of unlikely heroes, and we love unlikely heroes. But I wanted to just share the story of Gilbert and Eleanor Krauss. Uh, in 1939, and actually beginning a little bit uh, earlier, 1938, um, this uh, couple uh, from the Midwest in the United States uh, really were looking at events unfolding in Europe and seeing uh, the, the concentration camps and the atrocities and the things that were beginning to happen in Nazi Germany that were beginning to be reported in the news in America, and there were significant debates in the political sphere about what's to be done to save the kids. The first concentration camp opened in 30, uh, 1933, so uh, six years before um, uh, the war actually began. So these atrocities began a long time before that. There were bills introduced to the House of U.S. Uh, House of Representatives in the U.S. saying, hey, we should uh, grant visas to all of these kids uh, who are in Nazi Germany, all these Jewish kids. We should get as many of them to America as we can and save them and invite them in and, and just save as many lives as we can. And that bill, because of uh, uh, anti-Semitism that was happening in the U.S. and because of uh, all of the stuff that was going on in that space, uh, that, that bill never got voted on. It just died on the floor of the house. And, and over the course of the war, 1.3 million children were murdered by the Nazis. But as this one couple were looking at this and beginning to see that story unfold, they said, let's just save the ones we can. And so they, this, this couple, he, he's a lawyer, he was a lawyer, and she was, uh, she was a housewife uh, living, living in the sti- United States in the Midwest, uh, began to uh, put together visas and the paperwork and all the stuff that they needed to do. He went over to Germany first. They're both Jewish people at incredible risk to themselves and went through uh, Vienna and all kinds of different places and began to gather cream of the crop kids who would be able to make an impact on the world, uh, 25 boys and 25 girls. And they gathered large groups of families and kids around to help uh, people uh, decide like like who are the ones we want to send we want to save and uh, and and took representatives from families and gathered these people and and basically uh, through some tricky bribery of Gestapo and 
granting of visas and partway through uh, while he was over there he got stuck with the logistics and got stuck with the, the bureaucracy and, and his wife uh, Eleanor came over as well to Germany on a ship and they just worked the system and they found these 50 kids and they gathered them and they got them out of the country and they saved their lives and brought them to a ship over in America and had them adopted into 50 American families but these are just people like you and me these are unlikely heroes. These are people who were not important at all. But God spoke to them, I think. Something spoke to them. And they knew that there was something for them to do to make a difference in the world. And at great cost to themselves, they did it. They did something. And that's the story of Mary. Now, her story, of course, uh, has this uh, incredible piece of divine intervention built into it. But the, the thing about Mary is that she was an unlikely person. She was just a little girl who lived uh, in uh, Judea, who had uh, a family history in a town called Nazareth, where Jesus ought to have been born. And God chose her. We see this in all the great epic stories, all the great epic journeys, that it's uh, the unlikely heroes that move the story forward. Uh, in, um, in The Lord of the Rings, uh, we, we keep returning to that story as well. There's this moment in the Council of Elrond where they're deciding what to do. How do we destroy this one ring? How do we make this thing happen? How do we, um, how do we solve this problem that, that's going on? Uh, how do we deal with it? And, and Elrond sort of speaks up in the middle of the story. And, and he, says, he says this, he says, uh, The road must be trod, but it will be very hard, and neither strength nor wisdom will carry us far upon us. This quest must be attempted by the weak with as much hope as the strong. Yet such is oft the course of deeds that move the wheels of the world. Small hands do them because they must, while the eyes of the great are elsewhere. Now if I was writing the story of Mary, we could have had Jesus like literally Star Trek style materialize in the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Israel, right? We could have made it happen in a dramatic fashion. Uh, he could have been born to Caiaphas, the high priest. He could have been born to, uh, to, to royalty. He could have been born in this incredible place. But Jesus was born to this little, uh, beautiful little girl named Mary uh, who was going to be in Nazareth at the right time in the right place. And, uh, and that's what it's like for us. That's what it's like for our journey. Uh, we often look at the big stories of Christianity, the missionaries, the heroes, uh, the people that we, we, we think are, are great world changers. But if we read far enough back in their stories, none of them had world changing in their DNA. None of them had world changing in the place of their birth. They were normal people. And we see this in the scriptures as well. Uh, this is this this thing that Tolkien writes is just something that he's known from the Word of God as a, as a believer. We read this. Uh, it says, "For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world." even things that are not or are nothing, to bring to nothing the things that are. 
I love that phrase. He chooses the things that are nothing to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The story of Mary, why Mary, that question is so that we absolutely have to look at the story and say, God did this incredible thing. And if we can see that God can do this incredible thing with Mary, he can do incredible things with you. Incredible things with you. And that's the truth to be gained from this story. How does God then work with you and me as unlikely heroes? Because if you're, if, you're, if you're like me, we have relatively low expectations for the part where we think we're meant to play in the world, right? We have relatively low expectations. I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm not well-educated. Uh, I, I don't have a theology degree or, or uh, you know, I, I don't know anything about counseling. I don't really know how to care for people or... Um, I, you know what, I'm, I'm not that good a musician. I don't know if I could be on the worship team or all of these sorts of things. Uh, we, we walk with an incredible insecurity as people. If you're, if you're like me, more often than not, you have reason after reason after reason why you can't. More than you have reasons why you can. So the question is for us as people, how do we become people like Mary? What happens to us? to make us people who will be the plucky hero, the unlikely hero, who's going to be the one used by God to move the story forward. How do we not disqualify ourselves? How did it happen for Mary? How does God work with plucky, unlikely heroes? The same way he works with Mary. And Mary said to the angel, like, how will this be? Like, how will this be? God, how are you going to use me? God, how are you going to use me to reach Carlton Place and Almont and Perth and Smith Falls? Like, what can you do with my little life? Like, how are you going to use me for this thing? How can I do it? And the angel answers her, and I think we need to hear this answer for us prophetically. I think you need to hear the Lord saying to you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I, I spent some time talking with, uh, with Craig about this in the car just yesterday. Like we have natural gifts. We have natural abilities. We have natural talents. There are things that we can do. There are things that we can accomplish in our strength the way that God has made us. And that's absolutely amazing. And it's absolutely wonderful that God uses us uh, in those ways. But there are ways in which he uses us that go beyond our ability, that go beyond our strength, that go beyond our natural gifting, and they come through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. They come by saying, we don't have it, we don't have the strength, we don't have the ability, we don't know what to do, but Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me as I take this step to do the thing you're calling me to do. I don't have the gifts or the ability to tell my friend about Jesus and to share with, the, with them how much he loves them. I, I'm so nervous. I can hardly speak. I don't know the arguments. I don't know what to do. Holy Spirit, will you overshadow me? Will you come on me? And will you give me the words to speak?
if you look at it in terms of your natural ability, it's absolutely not possible. It's wonderful. It can be good. You have wonderful gifts. But if you want to be the plucky hero in the story, if you want to be the one who turns the wheels of the world, it's Holy Spirit come in your power and fill me. And that's what makes it work. And so the question is then, and I think I'm hoping you're hearing this almost prophetically, there's an invitation of the Holy Spirit to you uh, to go further, to do more, to be more than you currently are. Who you are is wonderful. Your gifts are wonderful. The trajectory of Mary's life was absolutely wonderful. But I think you can hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, I can do even more with you than you've ever imagined. And so the question then is, how do you respond to that? Well, we respond the same way as Mary. Uh, He tells the story of Elizabeth. The angel tells him about Elizabeth. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was now called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. So the angel reminds her of a miracle. So when you look at your life and you wonder, can God use me in this thing? Can I do anything? You can remember the story of Elizabeth, a, uh, a postmenopausal woman who got to have a baby, which is a crazy, amazing miracle. Or you can re- think of any of the other miracles that we've seen, like Anna and I have seen. We have seen blind eyes opened. We have seen limbs grow. We're not seeing miracles uh, like that as much as we would like now by any stretch. But we've seen them with our own eyes, and my mind cannot forget the look of that little baby's eyes blinking and going in an instant from cloudy, milky white to crystal clear where we could see the irises and the pupils in, in Nigeria. We can't shake that memory. So remember that nothing is impossible with God. And then the other thing is simply this, to just give up like Mary does. And this is so hard. This is so hard for me. This is maybe the struggle of my life. And this is so hard for all of us to just simply say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it beat me according to your word. If you want to do more with my life than I could ever imagine, then, then, then do it, God. My life is, is yours. My life is yours. Take me and multiply me. Take me and make me more. Take me and fill me and use me. And that is a life that is an epic and glorious adventure. Let's stand. I just want you to, uh, maybe we'll do something just a little bit different. If you're, if you're in this space where you, you feel like maybe God's been inviting you to just more than you've experienced, maybe just more of the miraculous operating in your life, maybe just more of his power, maybe just more than the natural, just, just raise your hands with me. And let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. Come, Holy Spirit.
would you overshadow this congregation? That we would be filled with the power of the Most High God. We thank you for our natural giftings and our natural abilities. But we know there's more when we're empowered by your Spirit. Would you release in this place gifts of boldness to share our faith with our friends? Would you release in this place gifts of word of wisdom and word of knowledge that we would speak words to other people's hearts that are keys to unlocking them? Gently and humbly and accountably release them and release the prophetic in a healthy way. In a humble way. Release gifts of healing that we would see more and more when we lay our hands on the sick, that they would be made well. Give us miraculous gifts uh, in line with the fruit of the Spirit, miraculous love, miraculous joy, miraculous peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We confess that we are just like Mary. We are nobodies that you want to make into somebody. People to participate at a high level in the telling and the doing and the acting out of this story where you become enthroned as the king of the world and the whole world knows the glory of God. Holy Spirit, fill us. Empower us. And send us out in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go filled with the Spirit if you need prayer, want more prayer. Uh, come and talk to me or talk to any of our people. God bless you.